I don't want to be the kind of person that God talks to, and I don't listen. Neither do you. So I just challenge you tonight, what would God have you to do? Maybe God's spoken to people. Whatever God's done with other people, don't worry about them. What's God asked for you to do? Good evening. So good to be back with you tonight. We're, those videos sure did my heart good. Um, I, I loved the singing. I sure liked hearing and seeing what God was doing there, uh, obviously through William Carey and through the Rhymers. Does that make you want to go do something? Uh, I, I'm pretty excited about, uh, obviously, uh, what a heritage that William Carey left. Uh, but that's exciting what the Rhymers are doing right now. So praise the Lord for them. If, uh, if you're not excited about that, why don't you take some time and get right with God? That ought to get you excited. Seeing people getting out literature like that. And just like he was saying, that, that one guy dodging cars to give out the gospel, I don't know that I would have been in the middle of the street like he was, but uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So um, uh, thank you again. You've been very kind. I'm, I'm in a nice hotel down the road, and it is a very dangerous machine in my very bedroom. It has a, it has a machine that will make me a coffee in three minutes flat. So that's pretty dangerous for me to have around, but I've been enjoying that, so thank you so much. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here tonight. I'm excited to be here for this whole conference. Um, the people that generally come out for the, the whole Bible conference, you know, the, during the midweek, that's the church people. That, that's the folks. You guys are the folks, if you're like most churches, the ones that are keeping things going, that get things going. Um, so this is the real core of the church, so I'm, I, I just kind of find that a privilege so praise the Lord for a church that uh, believes this is important. Just like uh, Pastor Tim said, uh, these, uh, these are not just flags to me when I come and see this and, and people preparing all, the, all this music and all this. It's not just uh, an event. It's just a heart to have the world understand and, and hear and realize they need the gospel. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be us that does it, isn't it? You know, God, uh, God gave us a very special privilege and uh, we're, I'm going to preach about that tonight. So tonight, um, and the other thing I like about missions conferences is it's one time a year uh, where churches ask their people, pray about God and pray that God speak to you specifically. I think that's a good healthy prayer anytime. I think that's a good healthy prayer for anything you have to do in life, any decision. I think it's, a, it's not only a daily decision, it's sometimes an hourly and a minute-by-minute -minute decision. God, would you help me in this? But uh, missions, missions conferences are special because usually people are preparing and saying, God, what would you have me to, to do for missions? What would you have me to give for missions? God, how can I get involved? And I pray that was your desire as you were watching those videos. God, how would you help me get involved? Uh, I want to I be a small part of that. Uh, I can't do it all, but I can do some. And so praise the Lord. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but a, a good man recently was the victim of a targeted attack in Iraq. He was an independent Baptist missionary there. Uh, his name was Stephen Trell. And I'm going to read just, uh, this is a newspaper article actually from the Middle East. He, oftentimes when the newspaper prints something, it's, it's critical of Christians. Uh, not always, but oftentimes the case. This was printed in the Middle East, and I just want to read it to you. A U.S. English teacher who was shot dead in Baghdad on Monday loved Iraq and local food while those who knew him say he will always be remembered for his modesty, charm, and sense of humor. And from what I understand, this is translated from, uh, I believe, Arabic. 
And when they say modesty there, they, they kind of mean he was, he was one of the people. He was a humble man. He, he didn't mind mixing with the, uh, the Iraqi folks. In 2021, he came to work in Iraq. Stephen, uh, Stephen Trell, Trell came to work in Iraq in a local English school, the Global English Institute operated by uh, this organization. He was from Tennessee. You can't just go into Iraq as a missionary. So some, some hard places in the world, missionaries come as English teachers any way they can to get in there because uh, countries aren't just expecting and wanting Christian missionaries to come. So this is one of those places. So he came as, a, uh, as an English teacher. He held Bible studies with men. He spoke to men about Jesus. And he had, good, he had a good testimony. He was killed by... Un, uh, uh, um, he lived with his wife, who was the language school's um, uh, manager, three daughters, and a toddler son. He was killed by unknown gunmen late, on late Monday while driving through the capital's bustling commercial district of Karata, where he lived. The news shocked Iraqis especially those who met him in person. The teacher over the past two months visited a sales point for a mobile phone company in Baghdad where Mohammed Abdul Latif works. And he just visited with his man and just was trying to be kind to him. Uh, this is what Mohammed said. Once he was inside the store, he addressed us in Arabic. How are you today, guys? Are you going to give me, give me gifts today? I love gifts. Mr. Abdul Latif, 25, said he loved these folks and he would just joke with them. He would cut up with them. You know, it takes a little bit. Those of you who know are immigrants or have been immigrants, my parents are immigrants to Canada, so I, they understood a little bit of what it is to go to a new culture when they don't understand how to speak a language. It's hard to, to crack jokes in another language, isn't it? There are some things you can say to, one, to somebody from one part of the world, and uh, it's not funny at all. And then uh, there's other people who you see cracking up laughing and saying, well, it's nice they're having fun. I don't know why that's so funny. And, and this man was, was loving and kind enough to these people and understood Arabic enough that he could laugh with them and he could tease them a little bit and he could even uh, tease the store owner a little bit asking him for free gifts and the man liked that. He remembers how the employees used to gather around him as he cracked jokes. Once he shared with them his experience of taking part in the week's-long mourning procession to commemorate the death of a revered Shiite imam. He just so they're talking about him. He distributed cakes and drinks for pilgrims in the street. He loved people. He cared for Iraqi people. And the folks knew that. He had a wonderful... This is other, another Iraqi speaking of him. He had a wonderful personality. He loved Iraq, and all Iraqis who knew him respected him. Once he told me that he didn't feel himself as a stranger, but among his people, and always said, You are good people. And I'm thinking of staying in Iraq and not going back to my country. Shortly after his death was announced, Iraqis turned to social media to vent their anger, sharing photos of Trell with his family in Baghdad. He was highly respected, one lady said. He loved Iraq and Iraqis. And he served in a sincere way, recalling how warmly received families at the Institute. His absence is a great loss to us. He talks about how he loved their food, and she, she also asked, why do beautiful things get killed in Iraq? As far as I know, these are not Christian people. But they saw that God is doing something in the life of this man. She also said, those who hate Iraq and wanted to stay in chaos are behind the killing of Mr. Stephen. Iraq's prime minister described the killing as a cowardly crime, uh, saying that attacking foreign citizens is something that cannot be tolerated. And... Uh, 
This is what Trell said. In, as, I, as far as I understand, this was in Arabic. I pray to God, the one, that my heart will die in Iraq. He said that. He loved those people. And not necessarily, as I said yesterday, God loves you and God loves the world, not because the world is loving and lovable, but because He just has a selfless love and loves undeserving people. And I believe that's the kind of love Brother Trell had. And I think he sincerely loved those folks. And uh, he had no idea what was expecting him. It was a targeted attack. They picked him on purpose. And uh, I don't understand the prejudices that were involved, but he loved those people. And uh, he obviously needed to be genuine and kind in, or in order to be listened. I think Iraqi people, you know, people have prejudices, right? But the people who knew him uh, knew him enough to know he loves us. He's a kind man. He's a good man. And many people had good things to say about him. Uh, his death wasn't in vain. He led a Bible study with several men, and he was preparing them for the ministry. And, and uh, you should just pray that God continues to, to, to work there with what he started with Brother Trell. I listened to a, a testimony of a former Muslim a little while ago. His dad was uh, in the uh, key man from Muammar Gaddafi. And he said something pretty startling in his testimony. He said, I thank God for ISIS. This Christian man actually said that. He said, and he would show pictures of, of Middle Eastern people coming to know the Lord. And he said, what ISIS has done is the average Muslim is looking at what is happening and then looking at, at, at Islam and saying, this is not right. And they're seeing the end of what their religion brings and said, this is not right. And people are being driven to Christ because of what they see done in the name of Islam. And I don't doubt that seeds will be sown, and I trust that God will use this uh, Brother Trell's testimony not in vain. Uh, it's, I, I'm sure the majority of people in Iraq are against what happened there, and I, and I think God will use this to contrast the difference of what the, the, the people who killed him believe and what Brother Trell believed. There's a huge difference there. Two religious people, one very different. The God of the, God of the Bible and the God of Islam a uh, difference between night and day. I, um, and we need to love people. And the way Brother Trell did it was just to be friendly with folks. I think it's so important for you and I to have a good testimony. We're going to talk to people about Jesus. Tonight's preaching is about two, two platforms for the gospel. Two platforms for missions. And the first one is good works. That's, our, that's the first platform I'm going to talk about. The way you converse with others, behave with others... That is going to lay a platform for anything you say about the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was at the hotel today, I, uh, I asked for a, a bottle opener. And I went to the front desk there and I asked for one. And the fellow asked me if I, uh, if I wanted a bottle of wine. I said, no thank you, I don't drink, I just need a bottle opener. And uh, he said, well I don't drink either. And he's a Muslim man. And, I said, and I, said, I said, I'll show you what I'm going to drink. And it's a bottle of something called malt, malt or malta. It's made out of barley. And my dad used to buy it for me when I was little. And I thought, oh, I saw it at the store. I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to pick some up. And so I said, would you like to try some? He said, yeah, I'll try some. I said, okay, I'll give you some. And tomorrow you tell me if you liked it or not. And uh, he's, a, he's a Muslim man. And he said, uh, what are you doing? What, are, what do you do? I said, I, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm preaching at Grace Baptist Church. I'm a Christian. He said, those are good people. I need to have, you guys have a good testimony. We need to have a good testimony, and 
That is going to lay the foundation for anything we're going to do. Praise the Lord for you for having a good testimony. I don't know what he knows about you, but he knows you're good people. That is the platform you need and I need to talk to anybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's vital. Would you make a life-changing decision with someone you didn't know? Five or ten or twenty minutes? But I really believe that the key to reaching Surrey and the key to reaching really anywhere in the world is for people to see, not only understand the, the doctrines of the Bible and seeing that the Bible is true. I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian on purpose because I believe this, this book is true, every word of it. But it does something for you and I when we see Christianity lived out. It does something for you and I when we see a video of people crossing the world and handing out literature when they could be doing something else with their time and money. It does something for us. That, that means something to those people. And we want to live for something that's important and has meaning. And so we need to know, uh, we need to have a life-changing, uh, we need to have a, a good testimony, a life-changing testimony, and overcome people's prejudices. Like was said, sometimes people don't want to receive the gospel when you give them something, when you give out literature. I was out in a, uh, with a church visiting, and I, I'm for soul winning, but uh, one of the people we went to go visit, they asked, are you Mormons? That was the first thing. No, we're not Mormons. And so we told, told, talked with him for a while. That man had some prejudices. Uh, he, he made some assumptions about us. And really, the only way people are going to get a, over their assumptions is when they get to know what you have to say. After we have a good testimony, people are more apt to listen to us. People, people's prejudices will be overcome by your good works. You know, Paul was a good preacher who lived out what he believed. And the Bible says that he, he uh, was willing to be all things to all men, that he might by all means save some. And we need to have a good testimony with folks. I, when I lived, in, uh, I lived in a town called Winkler for years, and I had a neighbor who, uh, I, I moved into the neighborhood and they didn't have a fence. So I put up a fence. I, I've got kids, I have a dog, I want a fence. <laughs> and so I put up a fence, I built a I built a a garage to put some of my things. He didn't like that I built a fence and put up a garage. And uh, I was sorry about that. I talked to him about it, but he didn't like that. He, he figured that he should be able to, I guess, see my yard. And whatever, I'm, I feel bad for him, but I, I wanted a fence and I wanted a garage to hide my stuff. And uh, so we didn't hit it off well, but I was always trying to be kind to him. Uh, I would shovel his driveway, and uh, we had a few times where he just, he came over to my house and said, I, I'll, I'm offering to help you to tear down your shed. <laughs> I'll help you do it. And I said, I can't do that. He said, well, you're a Christian, right? You know, you, I, I know you don't want to be offensive to me, because I, uh, I like the view when your shed wasn't there uh, to be able to see, I don't know what he was looking at, but uh, my backyard, and who knows what else, but he... I said, no, I can't do that. I said, you're right, I am a Christian. I already, I already started paying a builder to build this thing for me. I can't tell him I'm not doing it <laughs> after I started. And so anyway, we didn't hit it off on the right foot. And uh, I, I shoveled his driveway anytime I could and uh, shoveled his walk, just tried to be nice to him. And uh, my wife would bake things and we'd bring him over and just trying to be friendly to him. Invited him to church whenever we could. He knew we were Christians. He knew the church we went to. And, uh, you know, I surrendered from that place. I, 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 I went to the mission field. I went on deputation, and I went to Uruguay. And uh, 
I met him not long before we left, and he said to me, he's a German man, and so they're a little more blunt than other people, and he said to me, you know, we're really starting to like you. <laughs> That's exactly how he said it. But, you know, I'd like to, and that same man I saw in our church. After I'd gone on deputation, I came back, and he was sitting in our church. And I'd like to think it had a little bit to do with me laying a platform for him and inviting him to church and telling him, well, and just being kind to him. We need to have a good testimony if people will listen to us. I really believe that our platform for the gospel is that. People's prejudices are overcome by our good works. Paul was rejected most places he went to, but one thing that's special is he had men working with him a lot of the time. When he was in Ephesus, he spent three years there. In other places, he had men working with him for a long time. So not only did they hear his preaching and doctrine, but they got to see how he lived. And that's pretty powerful. When you get to see how somebody lives and works and thinks, that, that's powerful because you can see this isn't just something that, that is happening from a pulpit, although they, I don't think they preach quite like, like we do today, like a pulpit like this, but it wasn't just his preaching ministry. They saw how he lived. And when they saw that, that affected them. You know, Paul, last night I preached, Paul looked to some of the very men who he mentored, and he called some of them wolves. And then when it was all done, they all cried and wept over him. They loved him, and he loved them. You know, if you love people, you can tell them hard things, and they still know you love them. We need to have a good testimony with folks so that they, they will receive the gospel and know that we care when we're talking to them. They... Um, Paul was often never, he was never received, I don't know of a single place in the Bible where he was received well by everyone. Uh, there was only a minority that accepted him. Uh, there's a portion, Paul says a couple of times in the Bible, save some. And he knew that. He knew that most of the places he went to, he would never be widely accepted. Uh, it was just the minority, it was just the, 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 the small flock that would accept him. But he didn't let that discourage him because... As much as Paul loved doing the Lord's work, he loved his Lord. And he would be faithful because he knew that's what his Lord wanted him to do. Uh, God was his goal. And so, you know, there was a, I don't know if this, you had this happen, but during, during COVID and during some of the restrictions, so there, were, there was a small group of people who were, when they saw the government clamp down, there were some people who were sympathetic to churches, and that's good. That's wonderful. Some, some new people started coming to churches that didn't come before because they, they just felt it was like their way of rebelling against the government. But uh, many of those people uh, are in church again today, but it was good to see some people supportive of churches in the world. But uh, we ought to know that as we're never going to be popular with the world. And if we are, it's never going to be for long. And, and I'm not saying that to be discouraging. We just need to realize if we come, with, uh, come across and have any opposition in our lives, it doesn't mean we need to give up and stop. We just, need to, we just need to realize that's part of the work. That's part of Christianity. We just need to go on. If the Lord's called us to do something, if the Lord saved you, you go and keep going with whatever he's called you to do. We need to be concerned about the sum. Paul says in Romans eleven fourteen, If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. He also said in 1 Corinthians nine twenty two, To the weak I became as 
became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He was concerned, always knowing that there's some out there. He didn't know which they were, but he sure wanted to find them. Just like the hymn we, we sang tonight about finding my sheep wherever they are. That was Paul's concern, finding those people. It's always going to be, unfortunately, Christianity is never going to be popular. And the Bible tells us that. Um, Matthew twenty-two fourteen says that many are called and few are chosen. Jesus often called his people little flock. You think of how little the crowd Jesus had after his ministry at his resurrection and at his crucifixion even less. Nobody was with him. They, he had to get two, two people who weren't even of his disciples to bury him. His mother wasn't even there to do that. Everyone left him. And yet, it, it's right to be a Christian. So God needs to be our goal and motivation. Uh, the Bible also says, straight is the gate. We believe that. There's only going to be a, a few, that, but we need to love and look for those few. I'm not saying that to be discouraging. God will build churches. I, I really believe that. I, I've, I don't know if that's your experience, but since COVID, more people seem to be coming to church. And I trust that will continue to happen. And, and more and more people, I'm looking forward to getting back to Uruguay and getting back to work, and I'm trusting the Lord will do that there. We need to be mindful that God is our goal. Be faithful. Uh, fruit, God will bring fruit. And we need to just trust God. And I say that because I, I firmly believe God will give me fruit as I work. But I don't work for the fruit. I work for my Lord. And I just trust He's going to take care of the details. God calls us to be faithful, faithful people. Um, I say that, and I say that for this reason. When I first went to Uruguay, in two, in, not the first time I went there, but when I went in 2016, it was, it was very special. I went to the city of Salto, and I thought, you know, I think God want, would have me have a church here. There's no like-minded church in this place, and, uh, and it's a big city. It, it needs the gospel. And so I went there, and I, I, I got a hold of some people who'd been there before, and there was a preacher who visited and said, there's actually a handful of people there that are meeting that would like a pastor. So I met up with these folks, and they have an empty church building at their disposal. So I said, well, let me start preaching. Let's see if we can get some people to come out to church, hear some preaching. And I started doing that. So I'm on a survey trip, and most missionaries on a survey trip, you just, you're just going to see how much your rent costs, all the, you know, do the logistics. So when you get back, you have a plan of how you're going to do this. And I got there, and, and I just got to work, talking to people about Jesus and inviting them to come to some meetings. I got to preach on the radio. It was very special. A lady got saved there, and they started inviting their friends, and... and and I was thinking, God is doing something. I went to the store to get some things printed for church, and this one lady said to me, she asked me my name so she could take it down and give me a call. She said, I know, you, my, I know your last name, I know your dad, I know your mom. My dad is from Uruguay. He hadn't been in Salto in 60 years. And so my family and I are thinking, this is weird. God is doing something here. God is leading and so I talked to the owners of that building and said, you can come down. They said, you can come down here. You can use this church building. You can even uh, live in the parsonage. No problems. I mean, it's a crime to have this building empty. Go ahead. No, no charge. Just to have the gospel preached here. And then, so, go on deputation. And then two months before we were supposed to get to Uruguay, 
the owner sent me an email and said, you're not welcome here, we don't want you here. Not the group of people I was talking, preaching to, but the folks who will actually own the building. And that was pretty jarring. What am I supposed to do, Lord? My kids weren't with me. It actually happened when I was here, close, very close to the time, probably happened uh, just after I met with you the first time I was here. That's when I got that email, because my kids aren't with me. And I'm glad they weren't with me, because I, I didn't know what to think. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I, I did some praying and fasting, and my wife and I did. God, what would you have me to do? And I just felt convinced, Lord, I think you've led me to Uruguay. I think you've led me to Salto. And if it, and if it was people leading me, if it was a building leading me, then I'd have to give up. But I just thought, you know, Lord, I prayed. I really believe you've been directing me. I'm going to do what I think you're asking me to do. It's about being faithful to God, not to people. There was a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Baptist Church Planting Ministries. They, uh, they were part of this, there was, they were part of this church, uh, church anniversary. The pastor had been preaching there, I believe for 50 years. He planted the church and just stayed faithful. And they, so they were having an anniversary for their church. And uh, they asked the pastor, or <laughs> the people asked, who was here at the beginning when the when pastor started this church? Nobody put, well, one person put up their hand. You know who it was? His wife. I'm sure that preacher probably has had some times in his life he could have, if he was waiting on people, and if he was serving for people's sake, then he would have been discouraged and left already, wouldn't he? He was there because his Lord led him. And so he was faithful through it all. So I want, we all want to see fruit, and we all want to see God do a work, and God will, but you have your focus on God, you put in the time and trust God, and he'll do it. If I was waiting for, uh, for a perfect building or for a perfect people, I, I already would have given up. That preacher would have all given up. God needs to be the one. God needs to be the, our goal. God needs to be the one that guide us. And so, missions conference, your pastor said it already, you need to be praying, God, what would you have me to do? God, what do you want from me? Lord, would you put a dollar figure on my mind if you'd have me to give? What do you want from me, Lord? Just show it to me. I want to do it. Isn't that a good prayer? And you trust your Lord? And you wait on Him? But a special time to just ask the Lord what He'd want us to do, what His will is. And once He tells you, you just hang on to that promise. I think the Lord's led me to Uruguay. And, that, and uh, I've only been there four years, but the reason I'm there is exactly that, because I believe He's called me. Because when my plans fell through, He's faithful. Okay, Lord, show me how to start over. Show me how to do things when I, I really don't know what I'm doing, but I trust you. Paul had such an excellent faith. When his world seemed like it was falling, out, falling down around him, he just trusted God. He could respond with Scripture. He could sing in the darkest of times. He could have peace. People were in the midst of executing him, and he had peace afterwards. People <laughs> mocked him, slapped him in the face, and he could respond with Scripture. And he had that peace not because he was an incredible man, although I think he was uh, quite an above-average fellow, but because he just had the peace of God that he was doing God's will. If you're doing God's will, you'll be able to sleep well at night. You'll be able to say, God, I'm doing the best I know how with what you've asked me to do. The rest is up to you. So 
So I challenge you to do that this missions conference. Pray, ask the Lord what He'd want you to do, and then uh, do it, even if your flesh doesn't want you to do it. You know, your flesh will fight you every step of the way. You just trust the Lord. And uh, so the first platform is, is, um, is good works. The second platform of missions is, the, is giving. Missions, about, missions is about doing more than you have to do. That's the bottom line. Uh, the Bible has thanksgiving offerings as free will offerings. Uh, when they took a collection for the tabernacle in the Old Testament, people didn't have to give. They could give if they wanted to. And that's, I believe, what missions is. is God just saying to His people, uh, I want to use you. I, don't, I can't find a chapter and verse that says you must give to, to missions. But I believe it's God's heartbeat. It's, the, the reason we give is because we have a generous God. That uh, we're living for something greater than this world. You know that Christians are better, you know this, Christians are better citizens than atheists. You probably knew that. You know that Christians are more charitable, more generous than atheists. Even if you take away all charitable giving and just look at things like giving to the Cancer Society and places like that, Christians are more generous. And the reason is because they know there's more to living than just what we see in this world. And so missions is just putting my faith to the test and say, I believe there's a world to come. I believe that this life isn't all there is. And I believe putting my, my money in something internal is worth it than, than spending my money on things that will pass away. Have you ever worked with someone who doesn't like to work? Have you ever worked with someone who is lazy? You know, there was, a, there was a fellow I knew that uh, I, I liked him. I went to, uh, <laughs> I knew him for a while, I liked him, and then I worked with him and I didn't like him so much anymore. Because he sure didn't like to work. If, uh, if you were working with him, you just had to know you're doing it all. And uh, there are people like that. If there's something dirty, there's, there's people, you know, there was a fellow I worked with that I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know, some people think this is funny. But he would go, there was a coffee maker where I used to work. Oh, that was dangerous for me. There was free coffee where I used to work. But uh, what he would do is he would get coffee, and we could tell it was getting close to the end, he wouldn't take the last bit of coffee. Why? Because he didn't want to drain the last bit of coffee, because then he'd feel he has to finish the coffee, and he'd leave it for someone else to brew. That's lazy. I mean, how can you be proud of that? That's terrible, right? Or the, the water cooler. You know, if the water cooler is out of water, you know, you, you go ahead and change it. You know, don't, don't expect somebody else needs to do it. It's terrible to work with people who are lazy. It's terrible who, to work with people who do as little as possible, isn't it? You know, where you work, you're representing the Lord. Don't be lazy. Did you talk to your boss about the Lord? I, uh, I was a tradesman for years. I worked for a lot of immoral bosses. Uh, but, you know, one thing, in it, so I wouldn't go drinking with them. And, uh, you know, the people who drank with the boss, they often got promotions. But uh, I, I just, I wouldn't do that. But I worked hard. And you know what? Even an immoral boss will appreciate it if you put in a hard day's work. They can trust you. You look at the people that trusted Joseph. He didn't believe anything like them. He didn't even speak. He was an immigrant himself. He didn't speak their language. But he worked hard. He was trustworthy. What, what kind of testimony do you have at work? I think a Christian, man, shame on you if you're a Christian and you're lazy. 
You should be known as a hard worker. People should know they can... Ex Isn't it good when you need help at work that somebody helps you? And a Christian should have that testimony to know that they're willing to do more than the bare minimum, the things that they absolutely have to do. Um, being a good worker is more than just doing the absolute, absolute minimum. Anyone can do the, the, the bare minimum. You know, they say the difference between a world-class athlete and, and just a, an average athlete is 5%. They say the difference between a world-class businessman and just an average businessman is 5%. Those people put in 5% more effort than everybody else. Uh, you know, that's not a lot, but that really is the difference between often being a good worker and not being a good worker. It's just doing what you... When you see something that needs to be done and doing, doing it. I, uh, I remember I did a job... Years ago, I'm, I'm, I'm an electrician by trade, and I had a job. I went to this big department store, and their lights went out. So I rushed over there. I got, uh, I got their lights working, and the, the owner wasn't there. And so the workers weren't working, obviously, because they had no electricity. So I got the electricity going, and <laughs> they didn't get back to work. They were expecting their boss to tell them to go to work now that the lights are on. So they kept the doors locked. And I thought, it's not my business. But I thought, man, it must cost a lot of money to run the, this department store and all these lights, and you guys are just sitting here doing nothing. I thought that was terrible, right? I say all that about work because God, I don't think that God requires any Christian to give to missions. I can't find a chapter and verse. But shame on you if, you would, if you'd sit around as a Christian and expect everybody else to do God's work. Every Christian should say, God, how can I help? Lord, what would you have me to do? We all hate that person at work who doesn't do anything, don't we? We shouldn't be that kind of Christian. Say, God, what would you have me to do? God, how can I get involved? So we need a, a good work ethic when it comes to missions. I was, I was at a missions conference recently, and they did something I hadn't seen before. They took commitments... And, and I'm not saying you have to do this, but it was special for me because they were reading out these commitments, you know, and so some of them are $20 a week, $10 a week, $100 a week. There was a lot of, if I can say this, little commitments. You know, and Pastor said, for $25 a month, you, one of these missionaries, you can support yourself and take ownership of that. But even if you can't, I mean, if you give a little, there's a lot of people in that church giving a little, and they support a lot of missionaries. It's just a lot of people are saying, God, I don't have much. But what little I have, I sure would love for you to use. God, I've prayed about it. You know, when I was in Bible college, I, um, before I was in Bible college, I, uh, I, had a very, I had a good job for Canada's biggest energy company. I, I supervised 44 men, 40 more peop, 44 people, rather, men and women. And uh, God, I, I was serving the Lord, God was good to me, and, and I had a lot more expendable income. And then God called me to Bible college. And most Bible college students have this in common. They don't have a lot of money. And what used to happen before when I had a lot of money is when I'd see a need, I would give to it. When I saw a missionary need, I would give to it. And then all of a sudden, I didn't have it. And I found that hard. Because I would see needs in my church, and I'd see, somebody should help these people. Why doesn't somebody help? If I had it, I would help. 
But my wife said something really wise to me. She said, maybe God's talked to people who have the means and they're not listening. Don't be the kind of person that God talks to and you don't listen. God will work through whatever little you have. In that particular situation, I was, my heart was broken because there was a family I knew that had a need. And we didn't have anything. I, I, I say that we, we were, you know, God never, uh, we never went hungry. But uh, we lived from week to week and month to month. And I somehow probably sacrificed and borrowed $100 so I could give it to them because I knew they could use it. I don't want to be the kind of person that God talks to. And I don't listen. Neither do you. So I just challenge you tonight. What would God have you to do? Maybe God's spoken to people. Whatever God's done with other people, don't worry about them. What's God asked for you to do? Whatever little you have, what is God asking you to do? Everybody together can do so much for the Lord. You guys know the uh, Great Commission passages in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. In Mark 16, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke 24, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. In John 20, even as the Father have sent me, so send I you. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, but whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. And then Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and unto the othermost parts of the earth. You know, I think this is the only thing in all four Gospels and uh, the book of Acts that the Lord Jesus Christ commanded. God's heart is for us to reach people. That is commanded clearly. Uh, how, and we should be prayerful how to do that. Obviously, the people that you deal with from day to day, the people you talk to, you should be, you should be laying a, a good platform to talk to them about Jesus and certainly talking to them about Jesus. But there's parts of the world you'll never get to. I think it would have been pretty ridiculous hear, hearing this as the, as the, gospel, as the uh, disciples. Maybe ridiculous is a strong word, but this is peculiar. I, I'm going to go, like was said tonight, I'm going to go to Uruguay in... Uh, in just over a week. I'm excited about that. I get to go back to my family, get to go back to my church. And in, in, two, in about two days, I'll go from door to door. From uh, my parents' home in Creston to my home in Salto. I'm pretty excited about that. I, I looked it up on, uh, on maps, and if I were to walk 12 hours every day, uh, I'd get there in 200 days. If I could walk 12 hours a day every day, I'd get to Salto from here in 12, in 200 days, if I could work, if I could walk for 200 days straight, and I don't think I could, uh, so that'd take a while, right? You think about what Jesus was saying, you, you shall be witnesses under the uttermost parts of the earth, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And yet, we have that within our grasp today, don't we? Like never before. The missionary movement, we've, we've seen testimony the last few days, it's exploded over the last few hundred years because there's things we can do globally that, that were never able to be done before. You know, first off with shipping and now with technology and, and uh, airplanes and so many things. We have so many things in our grasp. Don't you think the Lord wants to use us? 
He can use us now like never before. So, just those two points, it begins at home. That first platform is about good works. It would be hypocritical for us to send money to a missionary if we weren't willing to tell our foreign neighbors or our neighbors about Jesus, wouldn't it? And we all, I, I believe a good Christian, if you're right with God, you're going to seek the Lord's will over missions. But I, I also don't think it would be right to give to missions and not talk about Jesus. There's something wrong there. It should be, it should all be part, our heartbeat to tell people about Jesus. Ask God, and just like we should be asking God for, God, who would you have me, what would you have me to give? I really think we should have that attitude. God, who would you have me to talk to? God, how would you, would you prepare that heart? Would you give me wisdom to know how to talk to them? Lord, I want to glorify you, but I, I know that you can just prepare that way and prepare that heart. Just have that same attitude. God, how can I talk to these people? Who can I talk to? Put someone in my way. You know God will answer that prayer. I guarantee you he will. If you ask for a soul, God will put someone in your path. I guarantee you. And so secondly, what does God want you to give? Have you, have you looked? And I believe there's a, a good preacher called Brent Marowelli. I love him dearly. And he says, if I have to choose between faith and foolishness, I err on the side of faith. I like that attitude. You know, what God asks of you doesn't make sense to the world. But I guarantee you, if you trust God, he'll, he'll be no man's debtor. So I think everybody ought to just say, God, what could you do through me? What could you do through missions giving through me? Uh, don't you want the Lord to speak to you? I, I guarantee you those things. If you ask him those things, God, who would you have me to speak to? What would you have me to give? God will answer your prayer. So I just pray, pray that you follow through with that and that uh, you do that these nights. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.